You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1167 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday to break down what became the fifth straight win for the Hawks, taking care of business at home against the Sacramento Kings by a 121-104 to margin. It was an up-and-down game, for sure. More ups than downs. A slow start that we'll dive into, as well as a furious run by Atlanta. And as a spoiler alert here, it was a 71-27 to run from, at one point from the Hawks in this game to turn a deficit into a 30-point lead that was kind of cruise control from that point forward. We'll get into all of that. I do want to say at the top of the podcast, though, we had a two-part episode yesterday with Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops that is still very, very relevant at this point in time. Nothing really out of date about that show. Just keep in mind when we recorded it, but the first one about the trade market, second one about the Hawks and the state of the Hawks and some stuff on the bench and the defense and the return of Bogdanovich, which is coming up soon, and obviously he played in this game as well. So that's still very relevant. Please subscribe, check that out, and we'll get into the game now. On the podcast. Again, if five straight wins is nothing to sneeze at, which we'll come back to later on, but this is a back to back with travel for the Kings. It was a good spot for the Hawks, and everyone acknowledged that. I did kind of push back, push back a little bit during the day, and just, you know, there was this assumption, I think, in Hawks land, this is going to be like an automatic win. And obviously, if you watch this game from the second quarter on, that was the reason why. The Kings are not very good. It was a back to back for them, not for the Hawks, extra rest, a great spot overall for Atlanta, and I said as much on yesterday's show, I talked about how the Hawks needed to win this game, it was a good spot for them, but in the first quarter, it was kind of ugly in some respects. Before that, though, some injury stuff to get into quickly here. Bogdanovich was listed as probable with the knee that he had missed some time with. He ended up coming back in this game. Both Hunter and TLC were questionable to play. Hunter had the hard fall, of course, on Monday, ended up playing in this game as well. TLC ended up getting in for garbage time. At the end of the contest, and Bogdanovich was limited with a restriction of, of some kind, minutes-wise, like up to 24 or so. But this is also the first time all season long that the Hawks had their entire roster available. And even beyond that, by the way, the first time, according to Hawks PR, since January 3rd, 2020. That is more than two years. Uh, that's a long time. And that, at that point, the Hawks were still pretty bad. This is two years ago, the bad Hawks, when they were still kind of in the, in the midst of the full rebuild, all of that stuff. And by the way, that game was against Boston. Um, the injury report for that game coming in listed two guys as probable. It was Kevin Herter, who's still on the team, of course, and Jabari Parker. That's how long ago that was, that the Hawks actually had their entire roster available. It never happened once last season, even on the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. They never had their entire roster at any point. And for the first time this season, the Hawks had to pick an inactive player. They had to actually choose someone because you can't have more than 15 guys active on one night and they have 16 guys on the roster. So Shreve Cooper had to be inactive in this game. But um, good to have the Hawks at full strength. Yes, there's some, there's some restrictions. There were some guys on the injury report, but everybody was available in this game. And obviously the results um, for this first time were uh, very positive for Atlanta. On the Kings side, no De'Aaron Fox. He was a late scratch, which definitely helps the Hawks, but he wasn't going to change too much for the Kings, I don't think, in this game. He is their best player, but the Kings are kind of a mess. I'm going to avoid piling on too much, but they did not play well for large portions of this game. Regardless, though, the Hawks were eight-point favorites in the morning, and it got all the way up to like 11 or 11.5 with Fox out and the Hawks having all of their guys available. It was the fifth time this season 
the Hawks have been double-digit favorites. So, you know, that doesn't happen often. They're actually 4-1 and one in those games. They, they did lose one of those games to Houston when they were a big favorite in December. But, uh, yeah, a good spot overall. And in the first quarter, it looked to be getting away from the Hawks just a touch because the Kings led 12-7 out of the gate. Sacramento was pretty hot early on. Trey had four assists early, and the offense was actually fine. At the outset, Capella had a couple nice finishes. Hunter had a good drive and finish as well. Um, but the Hawks were down by 12 after about seven and a half minutes in this game. The Kings scored 25 points on their first 15 possessions, which is not good for your defense. They were 10 of 13 from the floor. They made their first three threes in the game. There was some good shot making from the Kings, to be fair, but the Hawks defensively were not dialed in. McMillan acknowledged as much after the game as well. The starters were not at their peak form at the outset. They were better later in the game, for sure. That first stretch was not good for Atlanta. They got down by as many as 14 points in the first quarter. Uh, rotationally, it was similar, but obviously they had Bogdanovich back, so they had to kind of make some tweaks. I was asking and kind of speculating before the game about how what they would do. This is what I kind of guessed they would do. Um, the decision, I think, basically that they had to make was, like, do you run Lou Williams, who was very good in this game, by the way, or do you go with a more traditional small forward combo four type in Kevin Knox? Because, you know, clearly, DeLon Wright... Bogdanovich, uh, Gallinari, and Okongwu were going to play. And it was like, all right, do they play 10? Do they play 9? Do they play 11? And they ended up with 10 for the most part in this game with Lou playing and playing well. Gallinari was actually the first sub. that The one time that the Hawks played without, without a center in this game was in the first uh, in the first quarter. But they went to the full bench unit a couple times, and it worked out very well. I'm not a big fan of the full bench unit, but it is a lot more tenable, as I've said before, when guys like Bogdanovich and Gallinari and Okongwu are on the second unit uh, and there's no huge weaknesses, and DeLon Wright's playing great, um, it's a lot more tenable to use that group. I still don't think you, that they have to do it all the time, but Nate does love to keep units together, and that was the uh, case in this game. But on top of the uh, of the defensive struggles early on, the offense was not very good either. They had a stretch of three points in ten possessions at one point when they were getting down by double digits, and they started one of ten from three in this game. But there was a fairly shocking dunk by Lou Williams at the end of the first quarter and uh, showing some springs in his uh, veteran legs at that point in time. Kind of in a half-court set. It was a weird play, but a, a cool play also. And uh, there was some, you know, I, I never want to decide too much credit to this stuff, but people kind of mentioned after the game, um, in kind of a funny crossover interview that Kevin Herter ended up interviewing Annie Finberg, friend of the podcast, uh, as sort of a crossover thing after the game. But they talked about this Lou's dunk and also Nate McMillan getting a technical foul early in the second quarter. Kind of credit for that. I never want to go that far, but it was obviously a nice turning point. There was some energy from there. But the Hawks were still down by 12 at the end of the first quarter. It was a disappointing quarter, to be sure. In fact, the only guy on the team with more than three points was Capella. He had four. So the offense was not good in the first quarter. Neither was the defense, and it was uh, kind of ugly. Now, the second quarter was much more favorable. Obviously, if you look at the box score, that is uh, very much the case. It was 46-17 to 17 in the second quarter, and within 12 seconds, technical foul on Nate McMillan after no call on Kongwu. Um, probably a good technical foul to take, which I wrote down actually in real time before the run even happened, but uh, I thought the officiating was not favorable to the Hawks in the first quarter, and Nate was definitely frustrated by that. Um, but the second unit was awesome. There was a 9-0 run to get the Hawks back within four. Uh, Kongwu had a nice offensive rebound to get Bogdanovich going on a three, and there was a huge dunk by Kongwu on a pass by Lou Williams on a lob. It was a really impressive catch even by Kongwu. He had to go way back to get it and finish that one. And then DeLon Wright had a nice steal set it all up as well. Um, the Kings did kind of finally have some resistance, but that was kind of brief in nature. Um, Lou clearly had some juice. Kong was flying around, DeLon Wright filling in gaps, etc. 
Overall, it was a 26-9 run to open the quarter. The Hawks scored 26 points in about five and a half minutes, which is normally like, that, that, that's a quarter's worth of points, basically, for most teams. They did that in less than half of a quarter. At that point, they had 9-12 of 12 on the floor. They had four threes in five and a half minutes. And then Bogdanovich had a personal 8-0 run at the end of that, that included two threes against his old team, of course, in Sacramento. He had 14 points in his first 10 minutes of action after an injury. Uh, he was flying around. Actually said after the game that he uh, his knee feels great, but also mentioned that it was a little bit um, less warm in the second half, so keep an eye on that in the future. But still, he looked very, very good. You can't ask for anything more than what he gave them in this game in his first game back in a while. But yeah, essentially the bench ended up playing like 10 minutes in a row together, which never happens, but the results were so good that Nate rode with that, which was obviously the good decision. It worked out very well. Um, the onslaught did slow down a little bit, but then it picked up again at the end of the quarter when the Stars came back in the game. DeAndre Hunter had a couple of great um, sort of drives, like basically right through Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton, some smaller guys using his size and physicality. And at the end of the quarter, the Hawks scored the last 13 points of the first half to go, um, you know, basically they scored seven points in the last minute to go up very big at the half. Again, 46-17 in the quarter. It was their highest scoring quarter of the season, which is worth noting of any kind. Also, the previous high was just uh, last week against Minnesota, by the way. But they scored only 21 points in the first quarter and still almost set a new season high for a half. That's how good they were in the second quarter. And again, per Hawks BR, uh, they, had, they were plus 29 in the quarter. That was their largest differential in 24, no, sorry, more than 20 years. 1994 was the last time, so 30-plus years. And their second largest differential in a single quarter in franchise history. That's insane. Um, they shot 71% from the floor in the quarter. They had six threes. Six free throws, 10 assists in the quarter. Bogey had 13 by himself. They held the Kings to 6-22 from the floor with five turnovers. Um, it was all beautiful for the Hawks in that period. I can do, I can do fun facts all day long, but it was uh, it was dominant, basically. Um, it went from about as bad of a first quarter as you could have drawn up in a lab for the Hawks um, at home against, against an overmatched opponent to an utter onslaught in the second. And by the way, they scored 41 bench points in the first half of this game. Uh, for some context on how crazy that is, the season high for the Hawks for a full game is 49. So they scored 41 in a half, <laughs> which is just absolutely outrageous. That's probably the stat of the night was the event, was the bench points in this game. We'll come back to that later on in the show. But after getting down by 14 uh, in the first quarter to be up how, how they were at the end of the uh, first half was fairly impressive. And the offensive numbers kind of stabilized after that slow start. We'll get into all of the uh, second half stuff as well as some overall takeaways, some player observations, etc. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, I'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline.ag remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. And with the new year, we have new updated desktop and mobile websites to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On to get started. With football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline.ag for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports action. And again, 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so as I mentioned before, at the very top of the podcast, there was a 71-27 to 27 run for the Hawks. And, you know, that's 
plus 44. That's obviously a huge swing, and it wasn't all of the second quarter. Now, the second quarter was definitely the biggest swing in the game, but the third quarter was also favorable, especially at the, at the beginning of the third quarter. So they came out of the locker room. The fear there would be, like, we had this huge run if you're the Hawks, and uh, you go into the halftime break, and you're riding high, and you want, might want to, like, underestimate your opponent. But coming into the third quarter, the, the, the best starts of the game from the starters happened in the third. They scored early, and often... Capella got off the rebound, kicked to Trey, and he had enough time to do it to do a full reset and a shrug before shooting a three. And that's Trey Young, who usually gets so much attention. It was bizarre to have him have that much time to shoot a jump shot. Um, they called timeout. The Kings did. That didn't really slow down anything overall. In fact, it was a 14-3 overall run by Atlanta, go up by 28 points. A 27-3 overall run. So obviously, the broader extended run was huge in itself, but the 27-3. Is just a pretty wild one. And again, that goes from up four to up 28 in short order. Um, there was some foul trouble with DeAndre Hunter getting his third foul, but it didn't really slow down anything. They brought in DeLon Wright, and that was all good from there. Again, they, they led by 30. That's as high as it got along the way, and that was to cap the uh, run to go from down 14 to up 30 at that point in time. The Kings did have a run, and I was trying not to overstate it either, but uh, this game wasn't over, over. Like, there were bigger, there have been bigger leads that have been blown. In fact, like, last night in the NBA, there was a 35-point lead blown. And for a brief time, at the end of the third quarter, the Kings did have a 13-2 run. They got to 19 at one point, and it was fairly competitive um, at, at, for, like, a couple minutes, <laughs> late third, early fourth. But still, the damage was kind of done. Bogey had 18 points in his first 16 minutes. The Hawks were shooting 55% from the floor through three quarters, and uh, a lot of the damage was, again, done at that point. The fourth was kind of, um, I would say, nondescript for the most part. They didn't start out very well in the fourth, and the lead, uh, I noted that the Kings had a couple shots in the air that would have cut the lead to 16. Obviously, the Hawks are still huge favorites at that point in time, but if it's 16 with 10 minutes to go, like, it's not over. But from there, it was a 6-0 run quickly from the bench. Gallo capped that off with a reverse dunk that was uh, the other big uh, surprise. I guess there were three dunks that were notable in this game. The Okongwu uh, massive finish in the first in the first half. The Lou Williams surprise dunk, and then Gallo with a reverse in transition to go by 24, and that was probably the dagger. Like I think it was the moment where I thought the game was over for the first time um, in the game. So that was impressive, and a nice little uh, spark from the bench again. They picked the season high with it from the bench with eight minutes to go, and then even poured it on much more from there. The lead was 20-25 for the vast majority of the fourth quarter. They started clearing the bench a little bit earlier than Nate usually wants to because the game was pretty much in hand. They went to um, Mays and TLC with like five minutes to go. They went to Knox, Gorgie Jang, and Jalen Johnson with about four minutes to go. And honestly, if they could have gone to Sharif Cooper, they would have, but he was inactive in this game. So uh, basically the last, I don't know, eight, nine minutes of the game were all garbage time for the most part. It's tough to give you like oh the overall numbers for this game, but I was, we'll still do it, um, even with I would say extended garbage time. Let's just say um, still a 125 offensive rating in the minutes that I would describe as like being kind of competitive. It went down a little bit from there as the the bench did not uh, I, I shouldn't say the bench the third unit did not, did not uh, light it up at the end of the game, but they shot the ball well for the full game 53 percent from the floor, but. You know, usually when a team is going to like blitz you like the way the Hawks did in this game, they might shoot great from three. They didn't in this game. They were actually 12 of 36. That's nothing fantastic from three, but they had great passing, 29 assists, nine turnovers. That's a great ratio, quite obviously. Um, points in the paint, 64. That's well over the Hawks' average. It's like, a, you know, basically like one and a half times with the Hawks' average in the paint for a full game. And again, the headliner, the stat of the night, the Hawks had 70 bench points. 70. Their season high was 49. 
So to go to set a you know this late in the season, you're talking about you know not not two thirds, but more than halfway through the season. You don't often take a season high, and they didn't double it, but basically you know one and a half times or so the season high it just doesn't ever happen with any stat basically at this point in the season. So that tells you how awesome the bench was throughout this contest, and of course you know all the extra time in the fourth quarter probably helped it a little bit, but still they set that record um, for the season with like eight minutes to go in the game. So worth noting. Uh, defensively, they held the Kings in the competitive portion to about a 101 offensive rating. Um, there was some help from the Kings, for sure. Uh, they were red hot at the very, very outset. Like, Dave, I Mitchell made a couple shots early. Um, but other than that, it was pretty hideous. In fact, hilariously, Davion Mitchell, who was their, um, I guess, de facto starting point guard. I'm not sure who was the point guard between Mitchell and Halliburton, however you want to say that. But Mitchell ended up being plus seven. In a game, the Hawks won by 17 points, which is a little bit strange. But uh, let's just say they cooled off violently as a team. The Hawks did lose, their, the, lose the glass in this game. That was kind of their one um, negative mark in terms of what you would say like on the box score in this game was, was the glass. And that's been a, kind of a theme recently in particular. Um, not a lot on the offensive glass. Um, in fact, the Hawks had six offensive rebounds in this game, and five of them came from the center's only one from only one from anybody else. It was Trey Young, so that's kind of uh, notable. But the passing, the overall efficiency, the fast break points—they had 20 points in transition. That's way more than the Hawks normally average as well. Um, just a complete effort, especially when you factor in the last three quarters. The first quarter was really bad, and that's not something you should probably just ignore overall. But uh, they shot 67% on twos in the game. 36 of 64 on twos. It's just not. Uh, sorry, 36 of 54 on twos. Um, yeah, I have stats for days for you. But basically, it was a dominant effort for the middle portion of the game. And that 71 27 run just does not happen every night in the NBA. Um, we're going to dive into the players now. We'll split it up a little bit into, into two segments. We'll start with the bench um, and kind of get the uh, garbage time stuff out of the way. The five guys who did not play in the rotation. Kevin Knox, Jalen Johnson, Gorgie Jang, TLC, and Skylar Mays. No surprises there, honestly. The Hawks had 10 guys available that were, you know, probably pretty much the clear, the clear 10 guys. You know, clearly I, I've talked about this in the past, and uh, we'll talk about Lou Williams in a second. But uh, they've split up the minutes um, in the backcourt a little bit interestingly at times, but I'm not surprised by this group being the group that's going to be playing for the Hawks. I would guess if the injuries continue to, to stay away for Atlanta, this 10 that played tonight will be the 10, and we'll dive, we'll dive into that even more. But the, the second unit was kind of you know in full at this point in time. We'll see if Nate goes back to the Bogdanovich starting, as he has for most of his tenure in Atlanta. And we talked about that actually extensively with Andrew and I yesterday. That's one more, one more plug of that podcast is that we kind of both advocated for Bogdanovich to kind of anchor that second unit. And obviously, it's a one-game sample. I'm not going to try to overstate it, but it worked very well in this game. Uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens in the future if they even get that a chance to happen. But I do like the theory of Bogdanovich on the second unit. So just sort of a broad um, window into the player takeaways that we'll get into in a second. But I want to at least say that out loud that the uh, the structure of the, of the rotation did make a lot of sense to me in this game. We'll, we'll kind of dive into that more in a moment. First, though, a word from our sponsors before we dive into the rest of the player observations and uh, hold on tight. We'll be right back. Okay, we're getting the guys who ended up playing minutes for the Hawks extensively. And again, the bench was so good in this game. You will not always get that from any bench, honestly. But as we talked about, I think, on Twitter during the game and before and after and with Andrew a little bit yesterday, when the Hawks are at full strength, the bench is 
a weapon. And this is something that you have to remember going back into the offseason. One of the strengths that we talked about on the show a lot, and that I wasn't alone in that, was just the Hawks were supposed to be awesome with their depth this year. And this is the first time they've had everybody available, and you can see that because, you know, how many teams in the league have a second unit that has DeLon Wright, Bogdan McDonavich, Aneke Kongwu, and Danilo Gallinari. Like, Gallinari and, and Lou have found the Fountain of Youth, which we'll get into in a second, but, I mean... I'll just say I'll just say this plainly. A Kongwu starts for a lot of teams in the league. McDonough starts for a lot of teams in the league. DeLon Wright maybe not start for a lot of teams in the league, but will be a clear third guard for a lot of teams in the league. Gallinari has been a you know top sixty player at times in his NBA career. So like they have so much talent on this bench to again, that doesn't mean you have to play them all together all the time, but the depth was a real strength in this game. Um, to the bench itself. Lou Williams was awesome. Fifteen points. Five assists, no turnovers, plus 20 in 19 minutes, five seven from the floor, three of three from three, two of two from the free throw line. And um, I tweeted this during the game, but like there's been a lot of attention paid to Gallinari, and rightly so. He's been really good in this stretch, and uh, you know he's he's kind of turned things around. And the juice that he has um, physically, athletically, has been different. He's been competing better on defense, on defense, making plays, all that stuff. I also just want to note that Lou uh, has been a big part of this run, and it's been night and day for Lou Williams from early in the season to recently. I'm not trying to pile on. I'm a big fan of Lou. I've known Lou for a long time. I've played, played against Lou a long, long, long time ago at a very low level, but uh, I've watched him play his entire career. Uh, he was very bad to begin the season, and I don't say that to say anything other than just the, the facts. He was really bad, and there's some context stuff, There's some context stuff there because Nate McMillan talked about it tonight. I think he's right to a certain level about this. Like He wasn't in the same position that he was in last year. He wasn't playing with the same units that he was last year. That is that matters. I think it might be a little bit overstated because Lou just kind of looked cooked at times in the first half of the season. The numbers are really bad if you look at, if you look back at that. So the first twenty seven games I pulled this after the game, first twenty seven games of the season for Lou, not just overall, but the first twenty seven games that he played, he had a forty six point five percent true shooting. That is terrible. That's ten percent below league average. Really bad. The Hawks were minus 5.7 points per hundred possessions when he played. That's terrible. He had a low assist rate of 17% for what his game was. And when you factor in his defense, which even now is not good, and it was uh, you know quite bad early in the season, he was, uh, let's just say, a strong negative. I don't want to make too much out of it, but he was a strong negative for most of the season. In fact, he lost his job. Um, there's, there was that brief moment, maybe I guess it was more like three or four or five games, where Lou had the inactive in Los Angeles, and they came back out of that, and he was just not playing. Like they 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 had gone to the lawn right as back of point guard only. They were playing guys like TLC. They were playing guys like Kevin Knox at times. Um, obviously, those guys more overlapped. But there was a stretch where Lou was healthy, and they were not playing. Uh, since then, since he rejoined the rotation, when they decided to put him back in the back in there, he along with Gallo and others have been really good. But Lou's last six games is a 68% true shooting. Now, that's not sustainable, but that's still notable about, about how good he's been. The Hawks are plus 15 per 100 when he's played in the last six games. Again, you know they're 5-1 and one in that stretch, so that's part of it. But he's been notably better. Like, the, athletically, I don't know if he just needed some time off to get recharged or what, but Nate, um, Nate has, was praising him tonight, as he should have, and Lou gave them quite a bit in this game. So that was good to see. I don't know how long it'll last. Maybe, maybe it's going to be hot and cold a little bit for now, but... Um, in addition to Gallo, who we'll get to now, actually, Lou has been a huge part of this turnaround. 
So, Gallinari, seven points, nine rebounds. It wasn't like he was, it was his best game, honestly. Uh, he's been better in previous games than this. This is the first time in a while he hasn't scored 10 points or more. That's like sort of an arbitrary line. But he rebounded the ball well in this game. He played with physicality. He didn't have a jumper, but it didn't matter. You know, seven points, nine rebounds is just fine for him, plus 16. And uh, he's had better nights, but uh, it's been good to see him playing well. Um, Kongwu was really, really good in this game. 18 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and a steal. Um, six seven to the free throw line as well. That's, a, that's an encouraging step for Onyeka. Um, six nine from the floor. The finishing, I think he had three, maybe four dunks. Um, finishing everything around the rim. Defensively, he was flying around. And uh, this was more like the game that he had last week, where he was like you know drawing all kinds of attention from everybody after the game. He had a couple of uh, hiccups in the middle of that. He's not been quite as good since then. But this is kind of back to that level where he is scary. It is scary hours from for, for Kongwu. He is very good when he's dialed in, and he's still so young as well. And then Bogdanovich, in his return, 18 points in 23 minutes, 7 assists as well. He looked more like the guy that he was last season. And it's a one-game sample, but he has struggled, which we, talk, which we got into again extensively with Andrew yesterday. Um, defensively, he's not been the same guy this year. Offensively, he's not been the same aggressive force, both physically and just kind of hunting his shot. But in this game, he came out, was aggressive. I'm not sure if it was the Kings. It's, of course, his former team. But he was hunting his shot in the way that he was last year when he was going crazy in the second half of last uh, of last season. So good to see that. Um, the knee is, of course, the concern, but he seemed to be feeling pretty good after the game. We talked about that as well. So um, we'll see what the role ends up being. I'm on record as thinking that the Hawks should start Herder as long as they can handle that politically. And Bogey said all the right things today, talking about how he just isn't really mind if he's going to start or not. Um, you know, that's kind of contradictory to what I've heard about last season when he definitely wanted to start early last season. But we'll see. Um, I, I think that he is well-suited to that second unit role, especially if he's going to play aggressively like he was in this game. So everything went perfectly tonight for a lot of people, but... Uh, at a bare minimum, it was extremely encouraging in his first game back after missing five, six games with the knee injury. And then DeLon Wright has been doing DeLon Wright stuff all season long. I am a broken record on this, but DeLon's been good all year. Six points, two rebounds, had an assist, had a steal, was plus 12. Great defense, 3-5 from the floor, doing little things. And uh, I can do this all day long, but I won't do it this time. Just say uh, DeLon Wright was good in this game. To the starters. Um, this will be a little bit briefer this time around because they weren't fantastic, honestly. As crazy as it is to have the Hawks win lopsidedly, the Hawks starters were not particularly awesome. Um, we'll start with Capella, who I actually thought was probably the best of the bunch in terms of, like, you know, according to his normal baseline, he was 8 points, 8 rebounds, and a block in 21 minutes. Um, they didn't play a ton because they didn't have to, but a, a Capella was uh, really good, I thought, actually. In his first stint, he was probably the only guy that I thought was, like, a plus for them um, and rebounded well, played good defense, and honestly, it, was, it's, it can't go overstated that the Hawks now have this like 48-minute of good center play, and it's just not uh, something that every team has, let's just say. It's a, very, it's a very nice baseline to have that defensively in particular, and I thought Clint was pretty good. Collins was okay, 9.6 rebounds, two steals and a block. Um, 0-4 on threes. Uh, he was part of, I think the Hawks, again, started like 1 of 11, I want to say, from three in this game. But um, he made all four of his twos. Didn't play poorly, just didn't make his three-pointers in this game. Uh, DeAndre Hunter had some nice moments. Uh, did have four fouls in 17 minutes, but um, four or five from the floor. Made his only three-point three attempt, nine points, and a rebound for DeAndre. Um, Herter was fine. Eight points on eight shots is not fantastic, but three, point, three rebounds and an assist for Kevin. And then Trey Young, actually, I thought kind of struggled, which is weird to say for someone who had 17 and 10. Because 10 assists in 25 minutes, you can't just fake that. But he was 7 of 18 from the floor. I thought he was being a little bit overzealous early on the game. Like, I felt like he wanted to send a message to like that he was going to cook Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton and kind of 
probably got a little bit overdoing it a little bit at times. I think he was probably responsible for some of the uh, stuff in the first half. I will say the Kings did a good job of getting the ball out of his hands, at least trying to. They were doubling him hard, and they threw off the rhythm. You know, So the, the Kings were terrible for the most part in this game, but I will credit to them, the first six minutes, they were flying around defensively and bothering Trey a little bit. But it wasn't his best game. It wasn't like he was terrible either. <laughs> Obviously, he had four steals, ten assists, so it wasn't like it was a bad game for Trey. But um, to have him not play his best either, and the Hawks actually still win comfortably, is usually a good sign for all parties involved. So we'll leave it there for now. The bench was definitely the story of this one. Uh, and you know, if the Hawks score 70, po- 70 points off the bench again in this season, I'll be surprised. But they don't have to do that every night. That's the uh, they have good starters as well, and uh, no real drawbacks to their performance in this game. Uh, Before we get out of here, a couple of quick things to hit on. The All-Star starters get announced on Thursday. There's a decent chance, I would say probably more than 50%, that Trey Young is going to be a starter for the East. He was number two in voting by the fans uh, on the last fan voting. I will say it's not only fan voting, uh, but he should get enough attention from the media and from players, I'm hoping, um, because I think he deserves it, honestly. And I would tell you if I didn't think that. I'm I'm very honest with everybody about this. Um, I think Trey should be an all-star starter, and I think he probably will be. Uh, Maybe not probably. I think there's a good chance, let's just say. But uh, I won't have a podcast tomorrow night, so if that happens, uh, I'm giving you the preemptive notice now. They're going to announce that on TNT on Thursday. I am confident he'll make the team after last year's ridiculous snub where he didn't make the team. I think uh, at a bare minimum he'll he'll be on the roster, but he might start, and we'll see. We'll find that out on Thursday. Um, the Hawks' next game on the agenda is Friday night at home against Boston. This is that friendly stretch of, at home, of home games when they actually have four more home games in a row, which is very nice. But Boston has a couple of days off before the game, and they actually their last game was actually on Tuesday against the Kings when they beat the crap out of the Kings on Tuesday. So they'll be well-rested, and Boston is 4-2 of their last six. They're a 500 team this year, actually 25-24, so slightly above 500 at this point. Uh, a nice little measuring stick. Obviously, Boston's a lot better than Sacramento. They'll be more well-rested. Well it's a more appropriate test for Atlanta. I would, if the Hawks are healthy, I would slightly favor Atlanta in the game. I think the Hawks are better than the Celtics this year. I've said that a number of times, dating back to the offseason. But Boston's a real team in the way that Sacramento is not. So that'll be a nice test for uh, for the Hawks at home on Friday. And then again, one more time, I don't want to overstate it again, but I thought it was a really good discussion with myself and Andrew uh, on the two-part podcast yesterday. So if you missed any of that, there are two episodes there, as well as stuff dating back to last week and uh, a full archive, let's just say. Uh, I know the Game Recap podcast don't don't have the longest shelf life in the world, but the ones that are not Game Recaps, um, the mailbag that I talked about last week is looking better and better each day when I talked about how I was pretty confident the Hawks were better than than they had been so far, and now they've been undefeated since then. So that's more of a blind squirrel thing. But the Hawks do have a good spot here. Um, All is not solved. At this point, they didn't, they saw that slow start and they have to climb out of it. But um, the projection for Atlanta between now um, and what it was two weeks ago is a lot rosier now. Winning games does that. Um, the energy has been more positive. Nate talked about that after the game. I think Bogey did as well about just how the the vibe is better. I'm not sure if they use the word vibe, but I'm going to say the word vibe around the team has been better. And you can just sort of trace that back as, as much as you want to, to you know, since the cam trade or uh, since guys got back and healthy. It's kind of probably a little bit of all those things. But the Hawks are in a better spot now than they've been all season long. So it's been good to see them playing well and feeling themselves. And we'll get into much more of that over the weekend. I'll have a new podcast after the game against Boston. Um, I will say the only way I'm recording Thursday is if there's a trade. So that's the last time that happened. It, there was a trade. So we'll, we'll see what happens between now and then. But at a, at a bare minimum, I'll have a new podcast after the game on Friday between the Hawks and the Celtics. Please subscribe to the podcast. It does wonders for us if you'll do that on your podcast platform of choice, whether that be Odyssey or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Also leave five-star ratings on Apple or Spotify 
reviews. Tell your friends. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter if you would like to at BT Roland. And we'll see you after the game on Friday.